Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Day two of the Conservative Political Action Conference. And what did they do with all the people? Don't get me wrong. There's more energy today than there was yesterday. There are more people today than there were yesterday. Huh. Is this different? Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. My thanks to Relay Indiana for sponsoring our trip out here, RelayIndiana.com. I've been to many a CPAC, many a conservative political action conference. They're busier than this. So it has to do with the amount of ticket costs in today's economy. It has to do with the timing, with spring breaks or maybe other things like that. Or perhaps it has to do with the fact that the American Conservative Union has so tied itself to Donald Trump that other candidates and certainly other surrogates don't feel the need to attend, didn't feel the need to be supportive. Just a few moments ago, I actually saw Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene go by. Uh, I, did, I did yell out Marjorie. She did wave. That did happen. So I think she's speaking on the stage. My plan is to challenge her to a push-up contest. That's how I'm going to get the interview. Because I don't think you're going to be... I mean, she was mobbed. Mobbed here. And I want to ask her what she thinks of the former... Republican National Committee Chairman Michael Steele telling her to shut the hell up. Just very, very curious as to what that's all about, how that works. What does she even respond to things like that? That's a question I would like to ask. Then I do have a couple other questions. I told you. I told you. I'm not, I would never search her out. I don't think she's hanging out at my dining room table. But if she's here, I'll ask. I will ask. Uh, I saw uh, both Kimberly Guilfoyle and Donald Trump Jr. Oddly enough, walking around on their own. Just out and about. And it's like, that's super strange. Considering a couple of years ago, the level of security around them was through the roof. But of course, you're talking about the, the son of the president of the United States. That would have made sense but just the crowds around them. I have not seen a waning popularity of Donald Trump Jr. I simply am noting that at this event, just out and about. Same with Kimberly Guilfoyle, just out and about. Is this a harbinger? You're right, I come to this event to get an idea of where the activist class is, so I can get an idea of what may be coming how things might progress. Can you get an inkling, a, 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 a bit of a reading on what's gonna happen? This is not indicative at all of where the party is. Very often when we talk about things like this event, you have to distinguish between the activist class and the establishment. The difference between a Trump supporter and somebody who's supporting Mitch McConnell. Use that just as an example, as a way of saying, okay, there are two different people who could believe in the same concepts, different ways of getting there, different attitudes uh, of, of getting there. Believe in the same concepts. So these are different people, and the establishment people aren't here. 
My point to you is that the activists aren't here. The hardcore is here. And that's different because one would argue, and I would argue there's usually more of a cross-section, or said a little bit differently, one would argue and I would argue there were more people to take in the excitement. This is something else to witness and to watch. Also, um, much different than years past, this is not about the room. This is not about um, the, the, hey, let's get ready to vote. There are far more policy conversations going on. Everywhere. Much more than the rah-rah. As a matter of fact, I would put the rah-rah at near zero. Uh, if you follow uh, my, my main station, my home station, WIBC, they have some photos up. And one of them was of five people, each with a letter of Trump's last name in glitter, standing there for a photo. I've got a guy in front of me right now who's wearing a wall suit. It's like it's a suit of, of, of bricks that just walked right by me, right? Because he's talking about, like, build the wall. That used to be a very commonplace thing. That's it. That's it. A couple of homemade Trump shirts, a couple of Make America Great Again hats, but of course, that's a standard now all across America. There isn't rah-rahing. There is a major push amongst the people we're hearing from about policy. The border, China, fentanyl, school boards and, and, and school choice and education opportunities. I would be hard-pressed to think that this is going to be a policy-related, issues-related election going into 2024. And most importantly, because, man, we are so far ahead of the game. We are too far ahead of what is going to be. This is two years away. So it could be that some people just took some time off and they'll get back to their politics next year. We're going to find out which one is right. I have got a lot of people to talk to, including uh, the former acting director of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, scheduled to be with us this hour. Keep it right here. This is Tony Katz today. Sometimes you seek the fame. Sometimes the fame is thrust upon you. It's really how it works. I actually haven't found a way that it doesn't work exactly like that. Riley Gaines is one of those people. All she was doing was swimming and minding her own business. Being a champion and minding her own business. Trying to succeed and minding her own business. And then Leah Thomas decided, I'm going to swim too, except Leah Thomas is a man, as we've discussed on this program many times. And Riley Gaines said, this is not going to work for me. And for engaging in open and honest and clear conversation, Riley Gaines became famous. <laughs> And I don't know if you feel it's for the right reasons or the wrong reasons. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Riley Gaines joins us right now. Uh, you know uh, the conversation. You know her work, her work as an NCAA uh, swimmer, and I assume the people in my beloved Indianapolis are listening very intently <laughs> uh, to this conversation. It, it's good to be with you. It's good to see you here. Absolutely. I mean, 
we can discuss the story, but I'm much more curious about the human element. Absolutely. Uh, what is it like to go from somebody who was regarded as a swimmer uh, and, a, and, a, and a very good one um, to being someone who in some circles is glorified as the last truth teller the world has ever seen <laughs> and in other circles as the worst bigot human being who ever lived. Talk Man. To me about how these, this last year has gone. My life this past year has totally changed from the direction that I, I, was, I thought I, I had planned to go in. Um, I was supposed to be in dental school this year. Um, but I realized it would be a disservice to myself, to the female athletes who fought relentlessly for Title IX, to the present female athletes who are currently dealing with this injustice, and of course to the future generation of female athletes who don't yet understand the implications of allowing men to infiltrate into women's sports and spaces, to not continue to use my platform and my voice. So, so I want to take it a step back, because I didn't know about the, the dental school thing. Why would it be so bad to become a dentist? Why would that be? <laughs> aren't, aren't you allowed to still live your life the way you see fit? But, I mean, you can do that if you choose. Absolutely. But you think that this is the better path? To me, I understand that dental school will always be there. But the relevance and the importance behind this issue is something that needs fighting now. And exactly like you said, I was... I feel as if I was thrust into this position. I had no idea this would gain the, the traction and the media attention that it really has by simply saying there are two sexes, you can't change your sex, and there are biological differences between the two sexes that are evident and significant when it comes to men and women playing sports or anything that requires sheer strength or athleticism against each other talking to Riley Gaines. You can find out more about her at Riley Gaines, G-A-I-N-E-S, RileyGaines.com. I spelled that right. You did, oh, correct. I, I, I don't ask the question to say, well, why aren't you just doing X? But rather it's, did you ever, were you ever a political person or a social awareness person before this moment? What was life pre getting to a meet right. where there's Leah Thomas? I've always been politically in tune, I'll say. I've always been someone who likes to be up to date on what's happening in our country because I think it's important to be informed even at the age of 22. Um, I think it's we are the future, my generation, and so I always was up to date, but by no means did I have any background in political science or journalism or so public no speaking. In, in no, absolutely not. No, no, that. just standing for the right thing, standing in the truth. And I'm training, strong in my faith, absolutely. Training um, that's what my life was like, being kind to people. I mean, now, but that doesn't mean I'm going to affirm someone's perception of oneself if it's a lie. Um, we've gotten to this point in our society where it feels as if everyone just wants to be told what they're doing is right. And while I, of course, believe in, in love and loving one another, I am someone who's going to hold someone accountable and call them out for living in a lie. But you wouldn't have had this conversation had it not been brought to your doorstep because it wasn't, it wasn't somebody doing something over there. Somebody wanted you to accept what they were doing Correct. in your world. Right. That's, that's the real Absolutely. difference. Absolutely. Um, this was 
this infringed upon myself. It infringed upon my teammates, who, of course, I care about. It infringed upon Leah Thomas's teammates, who I've now talked to, and they have told me the terrible, awful things that they dealt with on a day-in, day-out basis, daily, um, including going to having to go to mandatory LGBTQ meetings every week, including when they were concerned about their locker room, um, and they sent an email to their administration. Their administration responded back with, "If you feel uncomfortable seeing male genitalia." Um, here's some counseling resources that you should seek. And then again, we're referred to the LGBTQ Education Center to educate themselves on how Leah was oppressed. And so seeing this firsthand and knowing the work that it takes to be a successful swimmer at the D1 level, it just it felt like heartbreak to me more than frustration more than any other feeling it just felt like heartbreak and I, and the left likes to look at this as progress you know we're we're being progressive but allowing men to take women's opportunities and is this, taking us back 50 years in time i'm glad you brought that up talking to riley gaines rileygaines.com of course she's speaking out about ncaa swimmer leah thomas who is a man swimming against women speaking out that this is wrong and uh, the heaping of praise and hate that you have gotten in both places. How, in your conversations with those who want to make the claim that Leah Thomas is a woman, people like myself, people like my mother, uh, people um, like millions out there say, well, this is really abusive towards women. This Absolutely. is about subjugating women. This is about discarding women. This, there is a lot of misogyny in this conversation, if we're going to use the buzzword, it really has real world Absolutely. application here. How do you explain that to you? It almost feels as if you can't to some of these people. Some people are so set in their ways that they're not willing to listen to you. Before you can even say a word, it's immediately you're transphobic, you're a bigot, you're just hateful, um, which again, none of those are true. Um, and so it's hard. It's really hard to communicate this message to people who are already set in their ways because they don't understand sports. A lot of these people have never played a sport a day in their life. And sports, sports is not about your gender identity. Sports doesn't care about your feelings. Never once when I was waking up at 4.30 in the morning to swim, did swimming stop and ask me, hey, can you do this today? Are you okay? They don't care about your feelings. Sports is not about humanity. Sports relies on your biology. It relies on your physical talent. It relies on the work that you put in. Um, and the argument that I tend to see from people in opposition is, is constantly just about humanity. Be inclusive. Trans um, individuals have a 20% suicide rate among the community. Okay, but this isn't for sports to, to fix. Sports is about winning, um, to be totally blunt with you, especially at the elite level to which we were competing at. It's about winning. And if it wasn't about winning, players wouldn't get cut and coaches wouldn't get fired. But that, that is what it's about, especially at the Division One and higher levels. Well, I, I will tell you uh, that, you know, we don't often get to decide our journeys because I also was a D1 swimmer. That never actually happened. <laughs> I I'll believe you. Right now, there's 10,000. You can identify as that if you no, want. No, you can't. That's the whole point. Oh, she's making it. Well played. Well played, right? If you want to identify as a D1 swimmer, by all means, that's actually less absurd than you identifying as a woman. So she just, wow. That, there was no compliment in that whatsoever. I just want to be perfectly clear. That was rough, Riley. That was rough. You know what? We're no longer friends. That's where it goes. Riley Gaines, RileyGaines.com. I appreciate you taking the time. Of course. Thank you. I got to admit that I thought that Riley Gaines was Congresswoman Boebert. Good to see you. 
Congresswoman Lauren Boebert just walking right by. Good to see you as always. Just hanging out. Uh, this is CPAC. I mean, this is the kind of thing that happens. And I swear to you, she just like mingled into the crowd. I don't know if that's her husband with her or, or security. Just mingled into the crowd like nothing happened. That's always to me uh, super fascinating. But Riley Gaines was actually an impressive interview. And, and we, we, we made a point, or I made a point, of taking her in a, in a bit of a different direction than walking through the, 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 the basics of what happened and swimming against Leah Thomas and Thompson and what was that like. No, Thomas, Leah Thomas, sorry. That part to me has been asked and answered. So I, I, I wanted to see where she was digging in. It's very clear that she sees the problem and more than that, sees the issue that so many have with speaking out about the problem because there's an incredible problem about speaking out about the problem because of the derision one would get for speaking out about it. She understands that she already took the first hit and the key to taking the first hit is staying on your feet. If you can weather the first hit, if you can stay on your feet, you feel amazing. You feel incredibly empowered. You feel a remarkable amount of strength. And you feel that you have a responsibility to move that along. You have a responsibility to share that along. It was clear to me, I mean, we were two feet away from each other. We, we, we were not COVID compliant at all or in any way. We were two feet away from each other. And it was very clear that she had decided long before she had sat down with me that she was gonna do this. So now I'm forced to ask, you know, it's a question we would ask in generalities. How many people stay silent? We talk about this in the NBA or in pro sports. How many people who don't agree with LeBron James stay silent? It's a serious question. What, what chance do they have to speak out? What chance do they have to use their voice? What chance do they have to disagree? Well, that's true amongst pro athletes making millions of dollars a year. Is that not true among D1 athletes in a career that has no pro money coming? This is the top of their field and the top of their craft. And nobody wants to be called a racist or a bigot. No one wants to be called hateful. No one wants to be attacked and have their future maligned. But if you can stand up after that first punch, which is meant to keep you from speaking out, you can do a lot. And that's what I got from Riley Gaines. She was impressive. I don't know what her future holds, but that was impressive stuff. Find everything, TonyCats.locals.com here at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, presented by Relay Indiana. This is Tony Katz today.
it's a non-CPAC story, but it certainly is a mystery. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Find everything, TonyKatz.Locals.com, TonyKatz.Locals.com. Um, John Fetterman, the senator from Pennsylvania, the one who had the stroke, the one who has auditory processing issues and can't understand what's being said to him. The one uh, that no one cares about his health, and then after the State of the Union, he was lightheaded, and then checked himself into a hospital for clinical depression. And then his wife took his kids to Niagara Falls to go on uh, uh, zip lines. And she decided to, you know, take pictures and videos and share that with you and me. That's why it's a news story. Don't tell me I shouldn't notice when someone's being awful. It's one thing to say, hey, there's pressure on the kids and the husband's not well. You know what? Get away for a couple days so the kids can have some escapism. You might do that for your children. That you would post it to social media means you want people to see it. It seems clear to me that Giselle Fetterman doesn't care about her husband, John Fetterman, and uh, is only looking forward to the day that she gets appointed to be senator. That's what it looks like from the outside. But the story about John Fetterman gets super strange when you realize that he's in a hospital for clinical depression and he co-sponsored legislation on rail safety. He's in a hospital engaging in whatever the work is to help figure out ways to work with the depression so you can work your way into a healthier state of being, which is not an easy thing to do, by the way. Of course, depression's real. Say otherwise is, is nonsense. But a guy who can't understand the question being asked, every question, every statement around him sounds like a Charlie Brown teacher. Now I am to believe that he can, while in that state, while in a hospital battling clinical depression, battling, how else do you describe it? He can co-sponsor legislation? I'm sorry. I don't think I'm going to play in these games. I don't think I'm going to be a part of that madness. This idea that somehow he's doing this. Now, you could tell me, well, Tony, you know, there are different levels of clinical depression. Maybe there are, maybe there aren't. I don't claim an expertise on the medical side, and I'm not about to pretend that I do. I'm going to say that there are too many things working against Senator Fetterman right now. I don't believe he actually knows this legislation and knows what he's co-sponsoring. Anybody in Pennsylvania who believes that he even has the slightest clue as to what it is he's working on, I would stare at them askew like they were out of their mind. We should be incredibly worried that we have a U.S. Senator this unwell. We should want, regardless of our politics, for him to be well. Of course we should. But holy Mick Mackerel. Believe that he can co-sponsor legislation? That dog won't hunt.
not going to believe it. Now, this I totally believe. This was an actual headline from the people at the Associated Press. Pence won't say whether he'd support Trump as the 2024 nominee. Um, why would anybody think Pence would say that? You can ask the question, but you're surprised that he won't answer that question? Of course he's not going to answer that question. Why not just ask, hey, why not tell me about the intimate times with mother? He's not going to answer that question. It, and they wrote it as a headline. There's a whole news story. Pence won't say whether he'd support Trump as 2024 nominee. Of course he's not going to answer that question. It doesn't pay to answer it. He may be a nominee. <laughs> I'm kidding. He may at least run. He doesn't want to put himself in a place. He doesn't want to pigeonhole anything. The man's not nuts. He's not. It's crazy to think otherwise. But when you're desperate to, to, to fill the column inches, you will literally write anything. What is the state of the southern border? What is the state of national security? That's the story up next from CPAC. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. So the most enraging thing I've heard is actually not at CPAC. It was Twitter where Raymond, who uh, is good to me on Twitter, I appreciate the dude. Uh, Raymond uh, wrote, bourbon not made in Kentucky is just whiskey. Can we stop? Can we just stop with the madness? Can everybody just calm down? Bourbon is the American drink. Bourbon is by law made only in the United States, not just Kentucky, everywhere in the United States. You can make bourbon in Indiana, you can make bourbon in Oklahoma, you can make bourbon in Hawaii. Yes, you can. If you tell me I'm wrong, I must tell you you're wrong. And then I'm gonna insult your moms. That's the way this is gonna work. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Guys, good to be with you. Find everything, tonycats.locals.com. TonyCats.locals.com. I'll tell you what, it is, it, it's actually frustrating when people do that. And then, then they'll make a, a secondary mistake, at least this one in my view. The other one, the first one is a clear misunderstanding of, of what the story is. Bourbon is the American drink. That's what it is. Bourbon is the American drink, and that's made anywhere in the United States of America. That's how that goes. Whiskey is also something that can be made anywhere around the globe. Whiskey's an easy one to do. Whiskey is not bourbon. All bourbons are whiskeys, but not all whiskeys are bourbons. Isn't that right, Secretary Wolf? True or false? <laughs> I think that's true. That is science, yeah. sir. See, I won't tell you about the border. Don't don't test me on the bourbon, sir. I, I will not. It's I think that's the valid, valid point. That is the weirdest intro to a radio interview ever. Yeah, that's okay. You know what? That's, that's good. I rolled with it. That's I'm good. Who we are. It is Chad Wolf, uh, the former acting Secretary of Homeland Security under President Trump. And, sir, it's good to have you here. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me. At CPAC, and, and an absolute pleasure. I want to start with a baseline question. Yeah. Because we often discuss the idea of border security and whether the border is secure. And you'll hear people say and utilize the expression that the border is wide open. That's what they'll tell you. They will tell you 
that the border is wide open. What does that mean, the border is wide open? Yeah. So I think in, in what we've seen over the last two years when people use that, the border's wide open, it's we have not only an unprecedented number of individuals being trafficked uh, coming across that border, we also have uh, illegal narcotics to a degree that we haven't seen coming across that border. But it's not just the numbers, it's the manner in which they're coming across and the lack of order chaos and the lack of a process at the border that we see today. When you have Border Patrol that says, look, I can't process these people fast enough. I'm not going to actually give them what we call an NTA, a notice to appear at an ICE office when we release them into the country. There's just too many. I'm not even going to give them that. I'm just basically going to tell them wherever you go in the country, whenever you get a chance, go to your local ICE office and we'll put you into, into immigration proceedings. People are like, yeah, sure. I'm going to sign up for that. And then, of course, we'll never see them again. But we often hear that people show up to their court hearings, upwards of 90 yeah. plus percent show up to their court hearings. What stat are they referring to? You just shook yeah. your head, you rolled your eyes. It's, you so, in, it's so infuriating because, so first of all, there's not just one court appearance in an immigration proceedings. You're likely going to court three to four different times. And every time that, that percentage decreases, because it, what it shows me is that the success of putting someone in immigration court proceedings and removal proceedings, which is what they are in, is to remove them from the country. The success is were they removed or not? It's not how many times they show up for court. Because what we see is every time they show up for court, that percentage gets lower and lower. So it may be in the 90s the first time, drops to the 70s, drops to the 40s. By the time they're going to their last court appearance, it's, it's in the teens because they know they're about to be removed from the country because all of their petitions are not working. So the court appearances are about staying in the country. Yes. And the longer this goes on, the more surety there is that they will be removed from the country. So they eliminate themselves, extricate themselves from the process to not have this It's happen. almost as though they self-select. They're like, okay. I'm not showing up for the next court proceeding because I see I've been in front of a judge twice now. He's not buying my argument that I'm, I'm claiming asylum. He's not believing what I'm saying at the moment. My immigration attorney, who's being paid for by the government, is telling me, look, your claim's a tough one. So they're like, okay, this isn't going well for me, so I'm just not showing up for my next one. This is what we see throughout the continuum of these immigration court proceedings. And the success is not how many times they show up for court. The success is, are they removed from the country when they have no legal right to be here? Are the people that are being, um, because the, the court proceeding still goes on whether they show up or not, it's in absentia. So all the people that are being removed, that are being ordered to be removed, are they being removed? And the answer is absolutely not. And that's the that's the metric that people should be looking at. Talking to Chad Wolf, uh, the former acting secretary of Homeland Security under President Trump. Let's go back to this, the idea of, of, of going through these court proceedings and this idea of asylum. The judge yeah. isn't believing my claim of asylum. I have argued on my shows that there are NGOs, these non-governmental organizations, that are indeed helping people, teaching them to lie as they cross the border or they get the word out about how to make a claim when you're coming into the yeah. country to give you the best chance to stay here. So we have groups working against border policy and working against keeping uh, people who shouldn't be in the country out of the country. 
Am I right or am I wrong? Oh, it's 100% right. I mean, I saw it firsthand as acting secretary and, and throughout the four years at DHS. You have a number of these groups, and unfortunately what we see today is the Biden administration has given grants to these groups. We have groups that are being funded out of the Department of Justice, for instance, who believe and say it on their website as part of their mission statement that removing people from the country is inhumane. Right. And so we are funding groups that their sole purpose is to make sure people are not removed according to U.S. law. So all of these, I mean, there are some good NGOs, right? There are some folks that, that want to do the right thing, but there's a whole host of them that are working against American law and taxpayers to try to fight the system, find those loopholes to get these people to remain here. And absolutely they're coaching them and they're telling them to do and say certain things. And these are the same groups that will go, that are, I believe that the Biden administration is beholden to. When you see that the Biden administration is trying to bring back remain in Mexico like policies, yeah. do you laugh out loud or just to yourself or just like, why don't we stick? Why don't you stick with this two years yeah. ago? All of the above. Right. So they had the ability to, to do all of this two years ago and, and to really avoid the human carnage that we've seen on the border, the humanitarian crisis and the security crisis. And now they're coming around to like, oh, well, we need to put things in that actually work. Well, we gave you a playbook. Um, at the end of the Trump administration and you, you tossed it in the trash and you overturned a bunch of things that they're now putting back in place. They have a new transit rule that says you can't apply for asylum if you don't apply for asylum in the first safe third country that you came to. So if you're in Guatemala, for instance, and you want to walk through Mexico and you don't claim asylum there, you can't claim it at the U.S. border. We had a rule in the Trump administration. Biden administration didn't want anything to do with that. Two years later, guess what? They're back to the same rule. Uh, now they're trying to defend it. It's not the same. It's not the same. What they're slowly realizing, and it's been painful to most Americans and certainly to those communities along the border, is that deterrence and enforcement works in this regard. But it's if they're adding these rules back, is is their belief in your view that things get better? All we hear about is more crossings than ever before, yeah. more gotaways than ever before. If I have one more person talk to me about the fentanyl issue, yeah. I mean, it, there's, there's, it's just horror on horror. Do, will any of these rules that the Biden administration begrudgingly or for whatever reason is bringing back, do you expect to see a result? Or is there some other loophole that make, renders these things moot? So I, it's a hard question to answer. I, I expect to see marginal success. And the reason I say that is their heart's not in it. They don't believe in any of this. They don't believe in immigration enforcement. So the rule I just talked to you about, uh, there's so many exceptions to the rule. If someone um, tries to use an app on the phone that they have created, but they can't access it for whatever reason, maybe the app uh, is down for four days. Well, they're all exempted into the country. So th there's all these exceptions that they put into all these different policies and rules that says if an asylum officer believes that, you know, something that the immigrant says or the illegal alien says that they have the ability to just parole them into the, into the United States. So there's so many exceptions that we would never have done in the Trump administration. Wow. Because we know that the loopholes are taken advantage of to a, to a degree that we had never imagined um, that the Biden administration is allowing to happen today. I started by asking the question, while I still have a couple minutes left, is uh, about the border being wide open. We have had people discuss with us that there are massive swaths of the border that literally have no protection. The video we see is from the same part of the Rio Grande uh, and, and those areas. As you left, 
Exactly how much of the border is really wide open with no fencing and no uh, men and women to, uh, from Border Patrol to actually keep an eye on it? Uh, so there's a good there's a good bit of um, desolate places along that border that make it very difficult to have people come across the border. Um, you're not going to want to cross there because it's, it's a five day walk. Um, and so you don't need a lot of assets there. You need to have some domain awareness. You need to have some ability to surveil the area, but you don't need a lot of resources in a very desolate area. Where you need the resources, where you need a border wall, where you need physical infrastructure, and where you need agents are the busy crossing areas, and we know where those are. It's where the cartels push people across that border and the like. There you need certain things that this administration is not providing for. You need a border wall, and why do I say that? is we want them to cross on our terms and where we want them to cross. And if you put up physical infrastructure, yes, one or two people may come over it, but the vast majority are gonna to try to find a place where that wall is not, and then that's where you place your, your officers and your resources. So there's a method behind the madness of, of border security, but what we saw from this administration, I'll just end here, is they stopped listening to border patrol agents and they wanted to do what was best politically, which was to stop building the wall, uh, suspend enforcement and the like, and it was against the advice of career law enforcement agents. Chad Wolf, the former Homeland Security Secretary, and of course with America First Policy Institute, AmericaFirstPolicy.com. I appreciate yep. the time to be with us. We've got more from CPAC presented by Relay Indiana. This is Tony Katz today.